fun. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Media Storm's first ever live show from the London Podcast Festival. For those of you who don't know, Media Storm is a podcast that points out myths and misrepresentations in the mainstream media and puts people with lived experience back at the center of the story. I'm Matilda Mallinson. And I'm Helena Wadia. And, and this, this is, is Media Storm. Storm. Okay, so okay. today we are going to be talking about holes in our democracy, inequality, getting into and inside Westminster. And joining us are two very special guests. If you could all give a very big round of applause and please welcome to the stage Labour MP Bel Ribeiro Addy and political reporter Nadine Batchelahan. So anyone listening to the podcast retrospectively is going to need to be able to distinguish your voices. So Bell, will you just introduce yourself and tell us a little something? Uh, hi, my name is Bell Ribiradi, a member of parliament for Streatham since uh, December 2019 now. My name is Nadine Batchelor-Hunt. Um, I'm the political correspondent at Yahoo News um, and I also work in parliament. We're going to crack right on. It might be good news to you to hear that the parliament we currently have is the most diverse parliament this country has ever seen, at least in terms of gender and race. So the 2019 general election gave us a House of Commons that is 10% ethnic minorities and 30% women. Of course, it was going to actually represent society. It would be more like 15% ethnic minorities and 50% women. And then the data for the governing party gets a little worse. So... Labour has one in five MPs who are from minority ethnic backgrounds. The Conservatives have one in 15. And while the majority of Lib Dem and Labour MPs are now women, for the Conservatives, it's fewer than 25%. So that's the data. But what is it like in real life? Uh, so, <laughs> Belle, you said you've been in Parliament since 2019. What was it like walking you know, into the halls of Westminster in general, but also as a person who is a part of that minority? Well, I think it might have been a little bit different for me from some of my colleagues, because I worked there for a number of years before for, for Diane Abbott. Um, the, the, the difference was that I got to go down these corridors, which only MPs are allowed to go. I always wondered what was down there. That was really interesting. It's nothing special. Yeah, I was going to the say, there's really, there's really <laughs> nothing in them that's interesting. I suppose it's slightly different. You know, as a staffer, that um, people are treated generally depending on the type of staff you have so what color is your pass uh, brown brown so uh genos have brown house staff have gray member staff have green and mps have stripy white and green Ooh. so you can see them coming from a mile away <laughs> and you're meant to treat well house staff generally treat them much nicer what i found out is it doesn't always happen with me <laughs> because oh, really? they see me before they see my pass and what past would they assume that you had by seeing? Um, one of the others, yeah. yeah. Have you seen a change at all in discrimination in Westminster, whether that be a positive change or a negative change? Well, I think um, as the diversity of staff grew, there was a black staff network uh, started up and they, like me, it used to happen to me quite a bit, um, started to complain about the amount of times their pass was checked. Uh, so they've, they've changed things slightly to try and stop people doing that. Doesn't mean they don't still do it more than they do to other people, but it's a lot less uh, than when I started working there. The question isn't just about gender and race. And actually something I found in my research that was really interesting is that if you look at this by the measure of class, things 
are kind of getting worse. The proportion of Labour MPs to have come from working class jobs has halved since the 80s. For the Conservatives, it's 1%. And, and so we may not actually have the most diverse parliament we've ever had. Nadine, as a political reporter, can you shed any light on, on where this inequality is coming from? What are the barriers for people coming from diverse backgrounds getting into politics? Uh, yeah, so I actually grew up on a council estate in Birmingham and then, then ended up going to Cambridge, then ended up uh, being in Parliament. Um, and you kind of see that essentially it's where people start out in life, particularly with schooling. So if private schools, for example, are pretty much a gateway into these elite professions. You have this kind of private school culture where people know each other's schools, people know the lingo, there's that social capital. That means if you go into a job interview or you go into a student politics room or whatever, you are confident. Um, a lot of the people I went to university with said I knew I was going to get in I knew I was going to get into Cambridge it wasn't even a thought so that kind of confidence that's instilled in you all the way through means that when you get into politics you have the Jacob Rees-Mogg's of the world who are very at home even when it comes to visuals you know Eton looks very much like Oxbridge Oxbridge looks very much like Parliament so it's just these people are just used to being in these environments and because of that they're more confident to put their to put their um, names into the hat and they look like the people in the establishment so they're more likely to get promoted that's why we need more diversity so people everyone gets into the room not just people from a certain demographic and I feel like when we're having this conversation about these systemic barriers that result in a parliament that doesn't reflect our population it's hard to ignore that the current government has insisted that systemic racism isn't a problem and last year we had the Sewell report you probably saw the race report that basically asserted that Great Britain is no longer a country that has structural racism. I think um, Ben and I went on Newsnight, actually. Oh, this is <laughs> going to be some deja vu. with Calvin Robinson about this. So. It, was, it was just us two and him, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, was that, what was that line of questioning like on Newsnight? Yeah. <laughs> It was it was a bit it was a bit surreal because we've been arguing about this and this is what always seems to happen now. Now that we have more diversity, and, and we both understand not every single black person thinks exactly alike, but when the majority of people that look like us believe that something is wrong, the idea that you find somebody that looks like us to try and discredit what everybody else is saying is is it it, it was just really awful. And that's what kept on happening every single time we debated this. Yeah, do you think that we spend so long discussing whether or not things are racist rather than how to solve racism. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's a key issue. And, you know, I um, was asked to go on, I think it was Good Morning Britain a while back with a certain, um, with another commentator at the time. And I said to them, I'm not going to go on and talk about race to this person because it's just going to be an argument for clicks. And this person... Is it who just, I think it is? I'm, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but... <clears throat> and I said to them, listen, I'm not... <laughs> I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Like, and they kept offering to. me more and more money. And I said, no. I said, you know, this, this person doesn't represent like, the views of anybody in the mainstream black community. I understand that you need balance, but this is not balance. This is what they call false balance. And it's something we come across in every topic that we cover on Media Storm, where the media has this idea that to be balanced, you need to have one person saying yes and one person saying no, even if that's not representative of how people actually feel. Well, let's talk a little bit more about one barrier that minorities face in public life in general, but I think especially in Parliament, is this kind of online abuse that happens. And it seems like now to be almost inevitable if you take up a role, uh, especially in Parliament and especially as a woman and a woman of colour, particularly as a woman of colour who are 84% more likely than white women to be targeted. I wonder, Belle, do you experience this kind of abuse and has it ever made you question your role as an MP? 
um, especially such an outspoken one, of which we're very grateful for. No, absolutely. I had to question my sanity. Um, and genuinely, because I, I, as I said, I worked for Diane Abbott for a number of years. I saw all of that. I spent a lot of time trying to stop her seeing all of that. And that has its own effect on you. And I remember when I first um, put up on my own Twitter, because I'd, I'd, I'd not been commentating myself for a while, just in case I got Diane in trouble. When I put up on my own Twitter that I was standing, um, the first thing that came underneath it was something about me being a fat black X, Y or Z. And, you know, my heart just sank. I'm like, this is what you're getting yourself in for instantaneously. The first tweet you've put out to say that you're going to be putting yourself forward to be a member of parliament is the first thing that somebody has to say to you. Um, so, yeah, it does make you think. In general, just being a woman of colour on the internet is just absolutely exhausting. Like, we have to put up so many barriers, so many blocks on our DMs. As a journalist, you face a lot of it. And, yeah, it is, it's absolutely exhausting. The comment that you were subjected to is language that doesn't just exist on social media, that we do sometimes see in the mainstream media. And this is Media Storm. We like to look at the role that the mainstream media has in creating these problems and hopefully the solutions. And when it comes to political reporting, there's plenty of discriminatory language. Something that comes to my mind is Shouldergate. I don't know if anyone remembers. It was in 2020, female MP Tracy Brabin wore a um, off-the-shoulder black dress while speaking in the Commons. The Daily Mail, the Daily Mail photoshopped faces of other female leaders onto the photo of Tracy wearing this dress as some sort of like who wore it best <laughs> contest yeah adding to this long line of media that reduces female MPs to fashion choices also and remember Legsit Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon I think it was who were on the front of the Daily Mail and they said never mind Brexit what about Legsit and then there was the whole Angela Rayner stuff which was just Angela Rayner very recently year. yeah yeah okay so Belle have you ever experienced any mistreatment or unfair reporting well, firstly they have to figure out which one of us i am so it sounds awful but there was this one time where um the commons the, the bbc commons uh service which puts our names under when we speak in parliament got dawn butler and marcia de cordova mixed up and then the Evening Standard went to report on it, say, ha, 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 look at the BBC, they're so stupid. But instead of using a picture of Marsha, used a picture of me. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then they called me <laughs> to try and apologise quickly before I said anything um, and then to blame it all on Getty Images, who had, for the six months or so I'd been an MP, labelled all of the photos that anyone had taken of me as Marsha de Cordova. So that was everybody. The BBC, <laughs> um, Evening Standard and Getty Images. I was actually in Parliament as well. There's very few black women political <laughs> journalists. I get mistaken. We all get mistaken yeah. for each other. I'm not and surprised. There are t there are, and it's some of us are mixed race and some of us are black and we look visibly different, as you know. And yeah. people will come up I to me and say... Yeah. So, <laughs> they'll come up to me and say you know a journalist from the FT oh I'm like it's not me and these are MPs at one time actually I'd had a whole coffee with an MP talking about the cost of living crisis and then she says oh thank you and then gives a different name and I was like I'm not that's not me and then she says oh well you know my secretary must have got it confused and I thought <laughs> I've never seen your secretary in real life so how would she know what I look like so and I'd met this woman with the journalist she thought I was so it's it's just ridiculous yeah, yeah. you know what they're in both as in in both parliament and in both journalism because a connection that we often make uh, when we do our investigations on MediaStorm is that the same groups that are misrepresented by the media are also underrepresented in the media so within newsrooms like 
I know I have been in London newsrooms that are meant to reflect Londoners and been maybe one of five people of colour on their entire editorial team. Um, and then there was also another uh, Indian woman who I got called her name quite a lot. It's just like, she was also about 55, so <laughs> there was also a time where somebody thought I was Shobna Galati from Coronation Street, but <laughs> that's a separate uh, separate thing. But um, Nadine, how have you found, as a political reporter, getting into political journalism? Um, so obviously there's the, there's the problem with racism in politics, um, rhetoric that, you know, you'll see, um, you'll see MPs who have said racist things in, around Parliament. You know, Conservative Party conference last year, I found it quite difficult. I, w I won't go into names, but there was an event which was seen as an anti-woke event that I had to leave because it upset me. And luckily my editor was quite understanding. Um, but, you know, when you're in these environments, even lobby briefings, so th these happen... Um, twice daily um, and you go and talk to the Prime Minister spokesperson and ask questions um, and it's always shocking how they just rarely ask about race, rarely and in these environments normally you'll ask a question say on energy bills and then another journalist will bounce off that and another journalist will bounce off that and then um, sometimes if you're the black person in the room no one bounces off it so you'll put your hand up and say hey you know um, uh, uh, the stuff that happened with Nazgani, this is quite bad and then no one will bounce off it or um, I had a friend and she asked about the Chris Cabber stuff <laughs> and the spokesperson responded saying we're not going to comment during a period of national mourning and I, I wasn't there in person, unfortunately, but I texted my colleague and said, I'm really sorry, because no one backed her up either. No one backed her up on that. So imagine being the only black person, you know, in Downing Street in this hugely like imposing atmosphere, surrounded by journalists who have been doing this for years, and then putting your hand up and saying that, and no one saying, what? Like, you can't say that. That's really bad. You can see that reflected in political reporting. That's why we don't have coverage enough on racism. You know, I, there was a newspaper who had on their front page at one point something about over 50% of black kids living in poverty. Yet their political correspondent didn't mention it once in lobby and it was their splash on their front page. So it's just, there's just a real disconnect. And that's why in the media, we don't have this coverage because the questions aren't being asked at source in the room when people have the opportunity. OK, so let's talk about solutions, starting in Westminster. Labour has done a really good job of diversifying its gender profile. But what we see less of is upward elevation and that reflected in the leadership. It's often criticised as a party for being the only active UK party to not have had a female leader. And the Conservatives have given us three female Prime Ministers now, whatever you think of them. And they've given us our first ethnic minority Prime Minister with Disraeli in 1868, I think. They've put in a lot of effort into creating that upward mobility and it was reflected in the leadership contest. So I wonder whether you have any ideas about what Labour can do to improve upward mobility and diversity at its leadership. Well, I, I think in terms of making sure there are more women in the first place, that, that the, uh, the, the, the using um, all women shortlist, I was on an all women shortlist, that made a massive, massive difference. Um, but I'm actually more concerned, uh, representation does make a difference in terms of what we discuss. But at the end of the day, as you said, we have had three female prime ministers and under them, I didn't see a situation where women's lives improved. So as well as being concerned about what Parliament looks like, I'm concerned about what it does and what the people who enter Parliament believe and think. And um, working out to make sure that we have uh, diversity in terms of race, in terms of gender, that, that makes a massive, massive difference. But if we don't start having diversity in terms of views, uh, things are never going to change. 
it's actually it's definitely interesting you say that because we have well we had a woman of color pretty Patel, as a home secretary who possibly brought in you know one of the hard most hardline immigration policies under ever. that immigration policy her family would not have been allowed to come to this country that is just she's one of three that we had since windrush sajid javid pretty patel suella breverman all from immigrant backgrounds all pursuing almost increasingly hostile policies towards immigrants. I, this is actually something which, yeah, I don't always know what to make of. With the Conservative government, you have very high-profile people from minority backgrounds proposing very hardline views that kind of prop up the status quo, downplay racism and penalise immigrants. Kemi Badenoch is so anti-woke that she used masking tape to divide a unisex toilet into male and female sections during her leadership yeah, contest. Like. <laughs> yeah. Nadine, can you like what what do you make of this phenomenon? It, it honestly, I, I I just don't know. I don't really know how to approach it. It's it's just really nebulous, you know. I don't think it's fair to say anybody's in a specific position because of their ethnicity, apart from like obviously white people. Um but <laughs> <coughs> when it comes to this kind of stuff um, but, you know, it is a complicated thing. And, you know, as we were saying earlier, not all people of colour think the same way. And there are differences. You've got Afro-Caribbean communities that ha have very different cultures and overall political views to um, African communities. And the Indian community is very different to the Bangladeshi community. So there's all these things to take into account. And honestly, I don't... I, don't, I, I just don't think it's a there's there's one answer I, and I, I think it's fine to just say I don't know what to make of it um, because these people I think you just let them speak for themselves and I understand why it's a controversial thing within um, communities of colour because you see this and you feel frustrated because it feels very personal I honestly I think about this a lot and I haven't decided on what the one truth is if there is one truth but it's very very nebulous right because it's not like people should be held to higher accountability yeah. because they're from a minority background but they are well i've, I've always are, said yeah. this as well like with politicians and i do think this to some extent with rishi sunak was true if you're an ethnic minority in politics you have to be perfect like you 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 cannot put a foot wrong um if you want to be in a position like being prime minister i personally think within the conservative party the amount of hatred and vitriol he had towards him i don't know if it's just because of race but i do know that um, you know, if you want to progress and be successful as a black person or an Asian person, regardless, you have to toe a very, very thin line. You couldn't go around acting like Boris Johnson because you just wouldn't get very far. So, yeah. Lest we forget, Diane Abbott drank a M&S mojito on the London Overground. <laughs> and that was possibly one of the biggest media storms we saw. But should we list what Boris Johnson is not? No, let's not. We will never end the show. And maybe this is the time that we want to open to the audience. Does anyone have any thoughts, any questions for our panelists? Hi, um, I'm not from the UK, uh, but just I've I've uh, followed a bit of uh, yeah British politics. But I get the feeling that ethnic minorities who enter who enter the Tory party do so for career reasons. So that maybe they are following uh, very hardline immigration policies because that is what is going to get you to a higher ladder in the career. 
It's interesting because in order, what what that does point to is that in order to get to the front benches, my understanding of, of how our political system works is that rather than necessarily representing your constituents' views, you have to tow the party line. I understand that this is necessary for a government to function because a party needs to be able to put through legislation. But I wonder if it's something that, Bell, maybe, or Nadine, that you ever think is a problem, that how important it is for political, for your career elevation in politics to tow the party line? Firstly, um, you, you, well all parties you have to be extremely capable as 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 you know you've heard before you can't make a mistake when you're an ethnic minority or it's blown out of complete proportion so I'm, I'm quite sure they're all extremely capable but in order to move yourself to the front you have to you have to be amenable to whoever's in charge and you have to do exactly what they want and you almost have to do it more so than anybody else um to, you know to prove that loyalty because you've already got something counting against you which which is your race so I feel that they're perhaps more extreme on certain views, to make themselves stand out and show that they're really, really loyal. And, and I think sometimes it goes across the spectrum as well. Yeah. It's not necessarily a, a Conservative Party thing. You know, there is pressure on, you know, in ethnic minorities and at any party to kind of go towards a more establishment line. You know, the monarchy, Queen dying, I think is a prime example. There will be a lot of MPs um, in political parties that have an issue with the monarchy who you know, whose ancestors were colonised by the British Empire, who feel that they can't speak. And essentially, I mean, take, for example, the Labour Party, have been told they can't really post anything on social media unless it's RIP Queen. Now, that doesn't feel very democratic. So, you know, regardless of whether you're on the left or the right, when you're an ethnic minority, the establishment wants you to be more like them. And if you came out, like, guns blazing as a radical, you're going to find it very difficult to get into a senior, senior in, in a political party. Yes, it's very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Were there any other questions before we move on to part two? So, Azim Rafiq and the DCMS, if the makeup of that select committee was different, would there have been more movement with the inactivity with Yorkshire? Because they basically haven't been penalised. Just to contextualise, Azim Rafiq is the cricket player who came out about experiencing racism during his time playing. I would say part of it is select committees, as you, you'll know more about it, but they, they can recommend things, but there's only so far they will get unless the government takes it on board. But also the media coverage, if there's just not an interest there, then the public interest dies. You can tweet as much as you want about it, post as much on Facebook about it. But as we know, there's an issue in newsrooms with caring about these issues. Same goes with the Nazgani stuff. Soon as Boris Johnson, well, within a week or two, when it became apparent in the media that this wasn't going to bring down Boris Johnson, no one cared. It's just how it is. If nobody in the newsroom cares enough to commission on it, and there's no one in the newsroom to say, why aren't we commissioning on it? doesn't happen. And that's why it happened. Yeah. It can be really frustrating. Yeah, and that is a really, that's a really big thing. Like, I can't tell you the amount of times I pitched something and I got told by an editor who is just, because of the makeup of newsrooms, usually a uh, middle-aged, uh, middle-class white man, usually, and they'll say, oh, that's not relevant. That's not relevant. But what they're really saying is, that's not relevant to me. But it works even from political parties, let's say, trying to put out press releases about different subjects. I remember once um, pushing past someone to do it on the basis, and this is a press officer from somewhere, who said that Shamima Begum didn't poll well, so we shouldn't say anything about it. 
Um, obviously, that's I, how it uh, works in the media. It's, that it's, is literally it's how it works. It's as it's as basic as that. You know, is this going to land without without audience? What's the worst thing that's going to happen here? Is this the ethical argument? Yeah, but how's it going to read? That's how it is behind the scenes, particularly in PR and press, one hundred percent. But then the people asking and answering those questions come from a very narrow section of society. I think we need to what wrap a this section note up. to end on. <laughs> if you say it positively enough, might be okay. And can we have a loud round of applause? Everyone, Give please it up. follow Valentine. Give it up. Thank you so much. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs>